Take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6, if you would, please. I don't remember the exact context, uh, particularly what movie it was, uh, where I got this quote. And uh, I liked the quote enough that I wrote it down. I didn't think to write the name of the movie down. But here's the quote. One guy says to another, what's the difference between prayer in church and prayer at a casino? And the other guy says, I don't know. And the first one says, when you pray in a casino, you really mean it. Okay, now let's uh, try that on for a little bit. Is that a commentary on what the world thinks of church and prayers who are in church? Or is that an insightful reflection of somebody from inside church as they look at how churchy some of our prayer can be? I want us to look today another step into this uh, model prayer that Jesus gives to us in Matthew chapter 6. Um, now this is, um, maybe the best way for me to say this is, this is the first of all the petitions that are in the model prayer. There's a number of them in there. But this is the one that sets the tone for everything else that comes. And it's so critical for us, and I wanted to pause long enough uh, for us to really think hard and really be honest about how we perceive prayer. I've heard people say through the years that, oh, so-and-so over there is a prayer warrior. And I've always wondered what that means exactly. I've known some people that I thought probably fit that, if only I could define what a prayer warrior is. For some people, it's just how much time they spend in prayer. And they figure volume has got to be more than, you know, a lot is a little better than a little, so that makes them a prayer warrior. That's the problem with that is that's kind of a, uh, you know, how do you really say what is sufficient amount of prayer? Other people would say, well, they're a prayer warrior because when they pray for something, it happens. Well, we've already started talking a little bit around how that tends to be a little humanistic in prayer. Another way to look at that might be that if somebody really is able to grab a hold of the heart of God in prayer, then their requests are really God's desires, and of course they're going to happen more frequently. I'm saying a mouthful there, and we'll take probably eight or nine or 15 more weeks to work through some of those things. But let's look at this passage today, and uh, we'll kind of wade into it from there. As we come to this, I want to tell you today, the theme of this is prayer is reputation orientation. One more time, and then I'll explain it a little later in. Reputation orientation. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, it starts off, Jesus says, pray like this then. Our Father who is our... Uh, well, okay, let me see. There I go. I start slipping into my King James quote. And I don't talk like King James. I don't say art most of the time. Uh, our Father who art in heaven. So let me just say it. Our Father, the one in heaven. Now what's the next word? Well, Spencer's got it for us. Hallowed. How many of you use the word hallowed this week in a sentence? I think it's interesting that even in our modern or more modern translations, they t adopt this word. What I'm going to do for about 10 minutes here, maybe a little more than that, is, is to be kind of, uh, uh, man, almost, almost like 
junior high school grammar class. Man, I hate to do that to you. I know that it's almost summertime and, you know, we're out of that mode, but I want us to, to really stop for a minute and think about the words. This is the whole sermon and what he's got on the deal here, okay? Hallowed be your name. What in the world does that mean? Usually, and this is kind of unfortunate, but usually this is just the part of the prayer that we go through as we get into the real stuff. All right. A number of years ago, Ann Landers, uh, you may not know who that was, but uh, she used to have a, an advice column in the newspapers back when people used to read newspapers. And uh, she made a comment about the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer, some people call it, and how people hear different things. And so people started writing in and saying, well, yeah, here's what I used to think about that. Let me give you a few of these. Uh, in Missoula, Montana, somebody wrote in and said, my son, who was in nursery school, used to say this, our father who art in heaven... How did you know my name? <laughs> Here's another one from Grand Junction, Colorado. This lady believed when she was younger that she was praying the Lord's Prayer in order to get her sister in trouble. And she would say this, and lead a snot into temptation. I'll, I'll wait, let you catch up to that one. Uniontown, Ohio. This guy says that he used to think, and give us this day our jelly bread. But the one that ties particularly to us today, from San Francisco of all places. This guy said, when I was a child, I learned the prayer, and here's the way I thought it said, or read. Our Father, who art in heaven, Howard be your name. I think that sometimes when we come to prayer, these early parts of the model prayer, if we're apt to just quote the model prayer, these early parts are the things we go through in order to get to what we really are after, which is, and lead us not into temptation, and forgive us, and give us today our daily bread. And actually, if I modified that to the way we tend to live our lives, is give us today our monthly bread. But let's come back to the point of the day. Hallowed be your name. wonder what that means, really. Now, you know that on October the 31st every year in America, there is a celebration of a holiday known as October the 31st. What is that holiday? Halloween. You know how we came to the word Halloween? It actually comes... I know that the church of this day likes to just sign that whole holiday off to the devil, uh, which is a little bit limited thinking, but that's a whole other discussion. Do you realize that that Halloween is short for All Hallowed Eve? So they just pull it down to Halloween. That was a celebration day in the church for a long time. As a matter of fact, still is in some churches. Hallowed. Well, what does it mean? Well, if we just want to pull it down and put it in the English that you and I tend to speak on a day-to-day basis, it's another way of using the word holy. And holy means to be set apart. The best example I can give you of that, now don't throw anything at me, okay, is I'm holy today. Now, I qualified that to say today, all right? But the reason I say that is because I'm here and you're out there. I'm facing that way. Some of you are facing this way and some of you are asleep. Okay? I'm separated from you. That's the basic word 
holy. Okay? Now, we put it in our church kind of speaking, and we assign it as it does here. We're talking about God here, or Jesus is talking about God, and that's appropriate. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. But let's get the word down first. So this part of the prayer, let your name be holy, separate, hallowed. Another way we could say that is sanctified. Now, the question, though, is, now we're to the junior high grammar stuff, is this a petition, as in a request, or is it just a statement of fact? Now, look at it. What does it look like? Now, in English, it looks like it's just a statement. Hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. But actually, there's a couple of parts of the grammar here that we need to get and make sure that we kind of nail it down here. If it's only a statement, it's saying, God, you are holy, then why do we need to pray that? It's a statement of fact. Now, Jesus, remember, this is not a prayer to memorize, to just recite over and over. He's given us principles of prayer. He's given us themes that we can tie into our everyday prayer life. In fact, they need to uh, inform our everyday prayer life so that we are uh, mindful of what he's teaching as it plays out in our day-to-day prayers. If it is simply a statement of fact, that's good. Because we all need to be reminded that God is holy and set apart. But I want to take you back, and it's been several weeks now since we were there. You remember the first part of this prayer? What are the first two words of the model prayer? Our Father. That's the, I, I preached that sermon. The, the uh, communion part of it, the relationship part, that Jesus takes us beyond that established Jew, uh, Jewish religion of his day, which had God so set apart and so sanctified that they were even afraid to pronounce his name that they might offend him somehow and he would squash them like a bug. So he brought them together with this and he brings us together, our father, an intimate kind of relationship. So it doesn't seem to fit and it doesn't fit actually when you look at the grammar of this, it doesn't seem to fit that Jesus is just making another statement about how great God is, although that's always appropriate in prayer. So there's more to it that we need to get to. This is written as a command. Now, I said to my son one time, now I won't tell you which one, it doesn't matter because it probably could have been either one of them at any given time, but I'm thinking of an incident with one of my sons and I said this to him, get a job. Now does that communicate for you? Now if you were living in my house and I said to you, get a job, That's not a suggestion. He understood that. Because before the next day was over, he had a job. He didn't like it, but he had it because he knew that I wasn't just giving him some things to think about. You with me? That's a command. That's a statement that says, do something. Now, that's how this is written. Now, we don't pray this that way. As a matter of fact, when we come to this, we just make it as if it's a statement, God, your name is holy, and we move right on to the other stuff. But this is written as a command, but it's not just a command like get a job, like let your name be holy. See, that's where our language starts dropping off because this is written as a passive verb. In other words, it receives the action. So 
Some translations will get it, I think, right, according to the original language here, and they put the word let in front, okay? Let your name be holy. So it is written something as a command, but it's softened down into kind of an entreaty. It's like, uh, you know, kind of saying, okay, let's go here together. And so we say, let your name be holy. But then again, I have to stop and say, wait a minute, isn't God's name already holy? Well, maybe we should decide what name refers to here. I know I'm being awfully educational here, and I'm sorry. I'm almost through this part, okay? So hang with me. Name here is tied to that biblical use of the word on a regular basis. We find it in the Old Testament. It refers to character. That's why you'll find in the Old Testament, oftentimes, especially with Abraham and moving forward, that God would take somebody and he would change their name. You notice he did that in the New Testament with this guy named Simon Peter, right? His name is Simon, but Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means rock. We find that with Abraham. His name was Abram, and he changed it to Abraham because the character of who he was and what God was doing in his life changed. And that's how this word is used. So name here refers to the character of God. Now let me put all of that together. And so we might justifiably translate this little section that we have on the screen let your character be holified i love making up words up here does that communicate for you let your name be set apart let your character be like none other does that catch it okay now time out though preacher Isn't God's character already set apart? So what in the world is Jesus doing with us at this point? How should we pray like this? What is he saying to us? What is that umbrella petition that we're talking about here under which every one of the other petitions comes forward? Remember what I said when I started. This is a part of the prayer that is all about reputation orientation. Now, let me, let me see if I can show you what I mean by that. Eugene Peterson, who I've talked about before up here, uh, one way or another, he's the guy who did the uh, translation called The Message, for those of you who know that. Uh, he made this comment about prayer and how many Christians approach it. Reputation, orientation. Here's what he said. Our culture presents us with forms of prayer that are mostly self-expressions. In other words, God has very little, if anything, to do with our prayers. He says we pour out ourselves before God or we lift our gratitude to God as we feel the need or we have the occasion to do it. Such prayer is dominated by a sense of the self. But prayer, mature prayer, is dominated by a sense of God. Great quote now. Prayer rescues us from a preoccupation with ourselves. And it pulls us into an adoration of and pilgrimage to God. Let me break that down for us and say it this way. What Peterson is driving at is this reputation, 
orientation. We make prayer about ourselves. We do it on our time frame. We do it on our agenda. And we tend to do it in our own way. But Jesus is saying at this point with this little phrase that we so quickly skip over. He helps us to see that all of prayer has to take us to that awareness level that God is like none other. This one with whom we speak when we go to prayer is in fact God of the universe. Our Father, the one in the heavens, very literally translated. There is none other like him. He's not the old man upstairs. He's not the old man across the street. He's not the good guy looking down on us. He's God in the truest sense of that word. And when we come to prayer with an attitude that does anything other than endorse that, we have reduced prayer to being about us rather than about him. You see, it is about reputation. And it orients us, this phrase does, to the reputation of God when we come to this thing called prayer. He's teaching us that the primary theme of prayer is, now you ready for this? Let your name be holified. The primary theme of all prayer is that God's character has to be honored in us. Oh my goodness, preacher. You could have talked all day and not said that. Let me tell you how that plays out in our life on a day-to-day basis. God's character has to be honored in our behavior and us and in our prayer lives. But you know, a lot of the times, the way we approach God just pushes Him off as if He's not really God. Now, I know that we endorse that in our head, but we're so used to living the way we live that we just kind of pull Him in and He becomes kind of our own little pet project, if you will. Case in point. Uh, a number of years ago now, a very long time ago, uh, my dad was still down in the Rio Grande Valley where we were living, and we were working together at the same church, and so on Fridays, which was when we were off, uh, he and I, on a regular basis, would go out and play golf. Now, that was a, an exercise, a series of exercises in frustration for me, okay? My whole point of going to play golf with him was to beat him in golf. There was one problem with that. He played, and that meant that if he was actually playing and I was actually playing, my chances of beating him were slim to none. But that's why I went every day, and I was going to beat him. And actually, over a period of time, I began to love the game of golf and began to play it enough that I started hitting every once in a while, you know, every, every blind, well, whatever. I, you know, I just every once in a while, I'd hit a good shot. And that happened one day, and we were making the turn, and we was pretty close. We were through nine holes and going to the last nine holes. And he was probably only a couple of strokes ahead of me, and I thought, today's the day I'm going to get him. And I lined up on a par three, and I hit a pitching wedge. Boom, right in the hole, hole in one. Oh, my goodness. I stood there going, wow. And my dad flipped out. Now, he doesn't do emotion stuff, okay? He just doesn't do emotion. He started yelling, and, man, you why he's going off like that, right? And I was going, man, did that just happen? I saw it. And sure enough, we went up there. I went up to the hole. You know, dude, I didn't see my ball anywhere on the green. I went up to it. Sure enough, at the bottom of the hole, I grabbed it, picked it up. And he was still going off by this time. Well, it put us even at that point. And so now I'm going, all right, today is my day. 
So we got to the next hole, and he's still talking about it, and I'm thinking, I'm going to beat him today. And so I get up there, and I put my ball down on the tee, and I'm ready to hit a drive. Now, you've got to understand, it's a par five, which means it's going to take me about ten shots to get there. At the uh, just a perfect spot, some idiot who put this course together put water right out there where my ball normally landed. And so I take that ball that I just hit a hole in one, and I put it on that tee, and I stepped back, and I did my pre-shot routine and everything. I got up there, and I lined up to hit it, and I was just about to start my backswing, and my dad said, are you serious? Okay, now now I see I know my dad well enough to know he's just getting in my head. He's just always, you know, he could have said this earlier, but he waited until I was about to hit it. He said, are you serious? I said, what? He said, is that the ball you just hit a hole in one with? I said, Sure. He said, and you're going to hit it into the water? (laughs) Uh, No, Dad, I wasn't planning on doing that. He said, if I was you, I'd save that ball. I mean, how many other holding ones have you hit? I said, none. How many do you think you will hit? (laughs) That was a trick question. (laughs) So I took it. And then he took it. And he had a trophy made for me with that ball. And it's in my office today, hidden away, where nobody can see it. Now, let me tell you why I tell you all that stuff. We treat God often the way I was about to treat that golf ball. That wasn't the ball that did the trick, all right? But it was a special golf ball from that point forward. Even today, I can look at it and go, man, I remember that shot. I remember seeing it go down. It was a great day. It was good because it's never happened before. I mean, never since then. Don't we do God that way? We just take in all of his wonder. We sang about some of it this morning. I'm sure you talked about it in your Bible study classes this morning. The incredible nature of who God is. And we reduce him to just everyday, run-of-the-mill stuff in our conversation and in our prayer. Jesus knows that about us. And so from the outset of this prayer that is a guide for us, he says, begin acknowledging who God is. Our Father, the one in the heavens, there is none like you, and yet you choose a relationship with us. And then the next statement is, let your character be holified in my life. That's the point of this. This is not a reminder, a third one in a row here, where Jesus is saying, hey, don't forget who God is. He knows that we come to prayer because of that. We know who God is. We just forget it. And we reduce him to just ordinary, run-of-the-mill stuff in our lives. So the first strong, driving theme of prayer God, let your character be set apart in my life. Ultimately, you know that our behavior is in fact a reflection of how we see God. That's true on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes we do well with that. Sometimes we do not so well with that. Sometimes the way we pray reflects poorly on God's character. This happened at another church, okay, so it's not from anybody here. I received an email one time. 
one of those, you know, rub the lamp and the genie comes out and gets you whatever you want kind of things in prayer. I'm going to just read pieces of this to you. May you have zero balances in all of your bills. Hey, I like that one already. You understand what I just said? Oh, nobody, anything at all. May you have zero balances on all your bills. Capital letters, that means in texting, that's screaming. Financial salvation for whatever year this was. Here is your financial salvation. It's a simple prayer. You just need 30 seconds. Now, let me just stop for a minute before I even read pieces of the prayer. Does that sound like God's character to you? Rub the lamp, the genie pops out, you say the right words, you get what you want. Don't sleep on this. Man, are you kidding? You already sucked me in. I'm going to be debt-free by the end of the year. Are you kidding? Say a prayer for 30 seconds, that's too easy, isn't it? Yes, it is. He says, someone recently read this for the first time and received exactly enough for a zero balance on all bills. If you need a financial blessing, continue reading this email. See, I've, I've been under mistaken impression all these years. I thought I actually had to pay my bills. But apparently I could just say this prayer. Heavenly Father, most gracious and loving God, I ask that you will abundantly bless, uh, abundantly bless my family and I. That English. Father, I send up a prayer request for financial blessing for not only the person who sent this to me, but for me and all that I have forwarded this message to. And that the, hear this, the heresy of modern church thinking and that the power of joined prayer by those who believe and trust is more powerful than anything. And I thank you in advance for your blessings. Let me just suggest to you that if you get an email like that, don't bother. Because what that does, if anything else, well, here's a good way for us to approach that. If God answers that prayer, can he continue to be holy? Is there anything different about God than some of the other stuff that we see that's out there. That's a good question for us as we come to apply the truth of what I'm saying today. Ask yourself this question. Actually, there's two questions. Here's the first one. If God answers my prayer on this issue in the affirmative, in other words, if he says yes, can he maintain his holiness? If God says yes to my prayer request, will he still be holy? See, sometimes we think God's at our beck and call. Story's told. True story. Told of what happened in the church one day. The preacher was talking about God and meeting your needs and trusting him and all that stuff. Well, there happened to be a businessman who was in the middle of making a million-dollar deal, and he really needed it to go through. And so the preacher gave the invitation and said, if you believe that God, you know, you want to trust God with your situation, come down front here and pray and we'll pray with you if that's what you want and, and God will hear your prayer. So he came down, he knelt down next to a guy and he heard the guy next to him as he was weeping, praying that God would give him the hundred dollars he needed to keep some of his property from being repossessed. He was just in the worst possible shape financially. And so this guy said, God, just a hundred, I just need a hundred dollars. Well, the other guy's down, he's down there for his million dollar deal. 
And so before he started praying, he reached into his pocket, he pulled out a $100 bill, he handed it to the guy next to him. And when the guy looked at it, he had the response you can imagine. The guy got up praising God. <laughs> it's a miracle. God's the, now the other guy said, now, God, that I have your undivided attention, here's what I need. True story. If God answers his prayer, is God still holy? Or has he reduced himself to delivery boy? Here's another example. If God answers your prayer in the affirmative, can he maintain his holiness? The Green family, most of you don't know, not the one from here. But the Green family particularly that I'm referring to is one that most of us would know exactly which store it is or chain of stores that they own and operate. In 1986, the financial world was crashing around David Green. His company was just about to be, uh, they, they were going to have to declare, declare bankruptcy and it was just going to all go under. And he said, as it relates to that, those days were so hard for me because he said, I'm sure that I had prayed before that, but my situation was so far gone that I prayed in a way that I never dreamed I could pray. He said, I decided that this business had to be God's business, not mine. We were not ever going to make it. And if God wanted it to go under, so be it. But I'm going to trust God with this, and we're going to let this be his business, not ours. He said he started using that cutout part of his desk where your legs go under when you're sitting down. He said he began to use that as a place of prayer. In the middle of the day, he would retreat. This is a CEO of a huge company. He would retreat to that little area underneath his desk, and it became his prayer closet where he and God got together about how he needed to run that company and what he needed to do. And miraculously, in the midst of very difficult times, that company made a turnaround. And that company to this day is closed on Sundays. You go in during the Christmas season. It's a secular company. You go in during the Christmas season. You hear them playing Christmas music that's Christian. And you hear it, I guess, during the day. I try not to go in that, that room very much. It always costs me money when I go into that building. The, the name of the company is Hobby Lobby. A company that God has placed his hand on, apparently. Or at least in those days when their CEO said, God, this is yours not mine. If God answered his prayer, could God maintain his holiness there? You see the difference in a prayer life that says, God, it's not at all about what I want. It's about you. So let me reflect your character. Holy be your name. Here's the second question. The first one was, if God answers your prayer in the affirmative, can he maintain his holiness? The second question is, if God answers your request in the affirmative, can you maintain your holiness? I, I love the story. <laughs> this, this captures us sometimes. Supposedly a true story. It's told by a chaplain, so you never know about these preachers. They'd lie to you. Uh, World War II situation. Horrible fighting. And this serviceman was running across the battlefield and shells dropping all around him and 
bullets being fired, and so he jumped into a foxhole, uh, hoping to get out of the line of fire. And when he jumped in there, he realized that it wasn't deep enough to do him a whole lot of good. So he just, with his hands, he just frantically started digging and digging and trying to get it deeper and deeper and everything going on crazy. And he was freaking out. And while he's digging with his hands, he comes across something metal and he reaches and he grabs it and it's a crucifix. Now, I know that we're Baptists. We don't know what that is, but it's a cross, okay, with Jesus on it. And, uh, and he looks at it and he holds it and he's trying to figure out what to do with it. And about that time, somebody else jumps in next to him and it's a chaplain. And the guy real, looks at him and realizes, sees a cross on his... Then he says, man, I'm so glad you're here. How do you work this thing? Now, sometimes that's our prayer. It's in the panic. Okay, God, here I am. Now what? That's a good prayer. Now what? The not-so-good prayer is the one where we jump in and we dictate to God in the midst of the trial, here's what you got to do for me. If God answers your prayer in the affirmative, can you maintain your holiness or your progress in your Christian living. Too many times, I am like the little boy who came to me. I told a couple of y'all this not too long ago, but several years ago, a number of years ago now, we were at a friend's house the night before and cookout kind of thing, and they had this little boy who was in kindergarten, I think at the time, might have been first grade. His name was Zachary. And Zachary and I were buddies, you know, so we kind of messed around. So we'd go over to their house and do cookout stuff like that. And I'd, he'd want to show me all of his Power Ranger, whatever it was that he had. And so, so we got to church, and Zachary just, he didn't know me so much as a preacher as much as I was just Mark. And so on this particular Sunday, we'd been at their house the night before we got to church that morning. During the welcome time, I walked across the front, and here comes Zachary chasing me down. And he said, hey, Mark, Mark. And I said, well, I turned around, and I said, what's up, Zach? He said, uh, are you preaching today? I said, yes, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. And I was thinking that I was going to get some kind of attaboy, you know. And Zach said, you're preaching today. I said, yes, sir. He said, let's keep it short, okay? <laughs> Isn't that how we approach God in the trials of our lives? Let's keep it short, God. And the prayer request that I have when the fire is falling from the sky is, I don't really want to get burned here. But if we get this thing right, the hallowed be your name, let your name be sanctified in my life. You do realize that it might very well be that God allowed that fire to fall in your life so that he could receive glory through you. Man. Jesus just really doesn't let us off the hook with this model prayer does he? And it's first in the list. In the Greek language, that's important. It's the positioning that matters. Reputation, orientation. My situation is designed by God that he might receive glory. But you see, that all depends on whether or not I'm willing to let him be God in it. So I don't know what you're going through today. I would love to stand here and tell you, you know, you just pray the right words and all that goes away. But I'd be lying to you if that was what I said. But I will tell you this, and this is straight up truth. 
all that stuff you're going through, God will be more real to you through it than you could ever imagine that he was. And he will receive glory if you'll let him. So let your prayer reflect that. Let's pray. And so, Father, we thank you again for hard words from Scripture. I, Lord, as best I can say it, I don't think we intend to be short-sighted or shallow in the way we approach our relationship with you, but so often it seems to come off that way. So we pray that you would graciously draw us to yourself. And I know, Lord, there are people in this room going through horrific stuff if we look at it from our perspective. Things that we would not want them to go through, we wouldn't want ourselves to go through, our loved ones, and maybe even things we wouldn't want our, wor our worst enemies to go through. And yet it is their reality today. So I pray for them as best I know how that you would reach through the darkness and reach through the fires and reach through the gloom and remind them that you are God, our Father, the one in the heavens. And help them and help us to be able to honestly pray, let your character be holy as people see it in my life. We need help there. That doesn't even seem right to pray that. But we know it is. So we ask you to help us to get there in Jesus' name.